0: Our goal at the Sleepy Bookshelf is to help the world get better sleep. So, if you're enjoying the show, please make sure that you've followed the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and any other podcast player you use. And if you have a moment, review the show on Apple Podcasts. All of this helps the show reach new listeners and share the gift of a good night's rest. Thank you so much for your support. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm your host, Elizabeth. It is wonderful to have you here with me. Tonight, We will be continuing with the enchanted April. But before that, I'll give you some time to settle down for the night. Give yourself a nice, big stretch where you are, allowing all the tension to release from your muscles. You have nothing left to do today but get a good night's sleep. And what a lovely feeling that is. Now, let's take some deep breaths to calm our minds. Inhale deeply and mentally collect together all the thoughts still occupying your concentration. And exhale, letting them all go. Once more now. Inhale and exhale. Lovely. Now, the last time you were here, days had passed since that first night at San Salvatore, and they had gone by seemingly quietly. Each of the women took time to themselves and only came together at dinner time. Though nothing was happening on the outside, however, Their minds were reeling with various thoughts and feelings that being in Italy had stirred up. Lady Caroline was regretting being so friendly to Mrs. Wilkins and worried that she would now crowd her as others had in the past. But as Mrs. Wilkins had kept to herself, and indeed no one had come in search of Lady Caroline, she felt a strange mix of delight and disappointment to having been ignored for the first time in her life. She worried about Mr. Wilkins coming to their retreat, as from her experience, other people's husbands were not to be trusted. She wanted to warn Mrs. Wilkins beforehand to make sure she knew Lady Caroline had no interest in Mr. Wilkins at all. Mrs. Fisher felt very out of sorts. She couldn't concentrate on anything, not even her books. She worried she was getting ill. Mrs. Arbuthnot pined for her husband, Frederick. She hated how Mrs. Wilkins was pushing her to invite him to stay, and it made her realize that she had no one in this world who she could love and be loved in return. She longed for the baby, who had sadly passed away, and she felt so very lonely. Meanwhile, Mrs. Wilkins appeared to be very happy to trot off every morning by herself to go exploring in the nearby hills. And so we pick up tonight as Mr. Wilkins joins the ladies at San Salvatore. So just lie back and relax. As I turn to the next pages of The Enchanted April. Chapter 14. That first week, the wisteria began to fade, and the flowers of the Judas tree and peach trees fell off and carpeted the ground with rose color. Then all the freesias disappeared, and the irises grew scarce. And then, while these were clearing themselves away, the double banksia roses came out, and the big summer roses suddenly flaunted gorgeously on the walls and trellises. Fortune's yellow was one of them, a very beautiful rose. Presently, the tamarisk and the daphnes were at their best and the lilies at their tallest. By the end of the week, the fig trees were giving shade, the plum blossom was out among the olives, the modest wygelas appeared in their fresh pink clothes, and on the rock, sprawled masses of thick-leaved, star-shaped flowers, some vivid purple, and some a clear, pale lemon. By the end of the week, too, Mr. Wilkins arrived, even as his wife had foreseen he would, so he did. And there were signs almost of eagerness about his acceptance of her suggestion, he had not waited to write a letter in answer to hers, but had telegraphed. That surely was eager. It showed, Scrap thought, a definite wish for reunion, and watching his wife's happy face, and aware of her desire that Melesh should enjoy his holiday, She told herself that he would be a very unusual fool should he waste his time bothering about anybody else. If he isn't nice to her, Scrap thought, he shall be taken to the battlements and tipped over. For by the end of the week, she and Mrs. Wilkins had become Caroline and Lottie to each other and were friends. Mrs. Wilkins had always been friends, but Scrap had struggled not to be. She had tried hard to be cautious, but how difficult was caution with Mrs. Wilkins? Free herself from every vestige of it, she was so entirely unreserved, so completely expansive, that soon, Scrap, almost before she knew what she was doing, was being unreserved too, and nobody could be more unreserved than Scrap once she let herself go. The only difficulty about Lottie was that she was nearly always somewhere else. You couldn't catch her. You couldn't pin her down to come and talk. Scrap's fears that she would grab seemed grotesque in retrospect why there was no grab in her. At dinner and after dinner were the only times one really saw her. All day long, she was invisible and would come back in the late afternoon looking a perfect sight, her hair full of bits of moss and her freckles worse than ever. Perhaps she was making the most of her time before Melash arrived to do all the things she wanted to do meant to devote herself afterwards to going about with him, tidy and in her best clothes. Scrap watched her, interested in spite of herself, because it seemed so extraordinary to be as happy as that on so little. San Salvatore was beautiful, and the weather was divine, but scenery and weather, had never been enough for Scrap. And how could they be enough for somebody who would have to leave them quite soon and go back to life in Hampstead? Also, there was the imminence of Mellersh, of that melesh from whom Lottie had so lately run. It was all very well to feel one ought to share and to make a beau geste and do it, but the beau geste Scrap had known hadn't made anybody happy. Nobody really liked being the object of one, and it always meant an effort on the part of the maker. Still, she had to admit, there was no effort about Lottie. It was quite plain that everything she did and said was effortless, and she was just simply completely happy. And so Mrs. Wilkins was, for her doubts as to whether she had had time to become steady enough in serenity to go on being serene in Melesh's company, when she had it uninterruptedly right round the clock, had gone by the middle of the week. She felt that nothing now could shake her. She was ready for anything. She was firmly grafted, rooted, built into heaven. Whatever Melash said or did, she would not budge an inch out of heaven, would not rouse herself a single instant to come outside it and be cross. On the contrary, she was going to pull him up into it beside her, and they would sit comfortably together, suffused in light, and laugh at how much afraid of him she used to be in Hampstead, And had how deceitful her afraidness had made her. But he wouldn't need much pulling. He would come in quite naturally after a day or two, irresistibly wafted on the scented breezes of that divine air. And there he would sit, arrayed in stars, thought Mrs. Wilkins, in whose mind, among much other debris, floated occasional bright shreds of poetry. She laughed to herself a little at the picture of Melash, that top-hatted, black-coated, respectable family solicitor, arrayed in stars. But she laughed affectionately, almost with a maternal pride in how splendid he would look in such fine clothes. Poor lamb, she muttered to herself affectionately, and added, what he wants is a thorough airing. This was during the first half of the week. By the beginning of the last half, at the end of which Mr. Wilkins arrived, she left off even assuring herself that she was unshakable, that she was permeated beyond altering by the atmosphere. She no longer thought of it or noticed it. She took it for granted. If one may say so, and she certainly said so, not only to herself but also to Lady Caroline, she had found her celestial legs. Contrary to Mrs. Fisher's idea of the seemly, but of course contrary, what else would one expect of Mrs. Wilkins, she did not go to meet her husband at Mazago but simply walked down to the point where Beppo's fly would leave him and his luggage in the street of Castagneto. Mrs. Fisher disliked the arrival of Mr. Wilkins and was sure that anybody who could have married Mrs. Wilkins must be at least of an injudicious disposition. But a husband, whatever his disposition, should be properly met. Mr. Fisher had always been properly met. Never once in his married life had he gone unmet at a station, nor had he ever not been seen off. These observances, these courtesies, strengthened the bonds of marriage and made the husband feel he could rely on his wife's being always there. Always being there was the essential secret for a wife— What would have become of Mr. Fisher if she had neglected to act upon this principle? She preferred not to think. Enough things became of him as it was. For whatever one's care in stopping up, married life yet seemed to contain chinks. But Mrs. Wilkins took no pains. She just walked down the hill singing, Mrs. Fisher could hear her, and picked up her husband in the street as casually as if he were a pin. The three others, still in bed, for it was not nearly time to get up, heard her as she passed beneath their windows, down the zigzag path to meet Mr. Wilkins, who was coming by the morning train. And Scrap smiled, and Rose sighed, and Mrs. Fisher rang her bell and desired Francesca to bring her her breakfast in her room. All three had breakfast that day in their rooms, moved by a common instinct to take cover. Scrap always breakfasted in bed, but she'd had the same instinct for cover, and during breakfast, she made plans for spending the whole day where she was. Perhaps, though, it wouldn't be as necessary that day as the next. That day, scrap calculated, Melash would be provided for. He would want to have a bath, and having a bath at San Salvatore was an elaborate business, a real adventure if one had had a hot one in the bathroom. And it took a lot of time. It involved the attendance of the entire staff. Domenico and the boy, Giuseppe, coaxing the patent stove to burn, restraining it when it burnt too fiercely, using the bellows to it when it threatened to go out, relighting it when it did go out. Francesca anxiously hovering over the tap, regulating its trickle, because if it were turned on too full, the water instantly ran cold, and if not full enough, the stove blew up inside mysteriously flooded the house, and Constanza and Angela running up and down bringing pails of hot water from the kitchen to eke out what the tap did. This bath had been put in lately, and was at once the pride and the terror of the servants. It was very patent. Nobody quite understood it. There were long, printed instructions as to its right treatment hanging on the wall, in which the word pericuroso recurred. When Mrs. Fisher, proceeding on her arrival to the bathroom, saw this word, she went back in her room again and ordered a sponge bath instead. And when the others found out what using a bathroom meant, And how reluctant the servants were to leave them alone with the stove, and how Francesca positively refused to and stayed with her back turned, watching the tap, and how the remaining servants waited anxiously outside the door till the bather came safely out again. They too had sponge baths brought into their rooms instead. Mr. Wilkins, however, was a man and would be sure to want a big bath. Having it, Scrap calculated, would keep him busy for a long while. Then he would unpack, and then after his night in the train, he would probably sleep till the evening. So he would be provided for the whole day and not be let loose on them till dinner. Therefore, Scrap came to the conclusion she would be quite safe in the garden that day, got up as usual after breakfast and dawdled, as usual, through her dressing, listening with a slight cocked ear to the sound of Mr. Wilkins' arrival, of his luggage being carried into Lottie's room on the other side of the landing, of his educated voice as he inquired of Lottie first. "'Do I give this fellow anything?' and immediately afterwards, can I have a hot bath? Of Lottie's voice, cheerfully assuring him that he needn't give the fellow anything because he was the gardener, and that yes, he could have a hot bath. And soon after this, the landing was filled with the familiar noises of wood being brought, of water being brought, of feet running, of tongs vociferating. In fact, with the preparation of the bath. Scrap finished dressing and then loitered at her window, waiting till she should hear Mr. Wilkins go into the bathroom. When he was safely there, she would slip out and settle herself in the garden and resume her inquiries into the probable meaning of her life. She was getting on with her inquiries, She dozed much less frequently and was beginning to be inclined to agree that tawdry was the word to apply to her past. Also, she was afraid that her future looked black. There, she could hear Mr. Wilkins' educated voice again. Lottie's door had opened, and he was coming out of it, asking his way to the bathroom. "'It's where you see the crowd,' Lottie's voice answered, still a cheerful voice Scrap was glad to notice. His steps went along the landing, and Lottie's steps seemed to go downstairs. And then there seemed to be a brief altercation at the bathroom door. Hardly so much an altercation as a chorus of vociferations on one side and wordless determinations, Scrap judged. To have a bath by oneself on the other. Mr. Wilkins knew no Italian, and the expression pericoloso left him precisely as it found him, or would have if he had seen it, but naturally he took no notice of the printed matter on the wall. He firmly closed the door on the servants, resisting Domenico, who tried to the last to press through, And locked himself in as a man should for his bath, judicially considering, as he made his simple preparations for getting in, the singular standard of behavior of these foreigners, who, both male and female, apparently wished to stay with him while he bathed. In Finland, he had heard the female locals not only were present on such occasions, but actually washed the bath-taking traveler. He had not heard, however, that this was true too of Italy, which somehow seemed much nearer civilization, perhaps because one went there and did not go to Finland. Impartially examining this reflection and carefully balancing the claims to civilization of Italy and Finland, Mr. Wilkins got into the bath and turned off the tap, naturally he turned off the tap. It was what one did. But on the instructions, printed in red letters, was a paragraph saying that the tap should not be turned off as long as there was still fire in the stove. It should be left on, not much on, but on, until the fire was quite out. Otherwise, and here again was the word pericoloso, the stove would blow up. Mr. Wilkins got into the bath, turned off the tap, and the stove blew up, exactly as the printed instructions said it would. It blew up, fortunately only in its inside, but it blew up with a terrific noise, and Mr. Wilkins leapt out of the bath and rushed to the door, and only the instinct born of years of training made him snatch up a towel as he rushed. Scrap, halfway across the landing on her way out of doors, heard the explosion. Good heavens, she thought, remembering the instruction. There goes Mr. Wilkins. And she ran toward the head of the stairs to call the servants, and as she ran, outran Mr. Wilkins, clutching his towel, and they ran into each other. That damned bath, said Mr. Wilkins, imperfectly concealed in his towel, his shoulders exposed at one end and his legs at the other, and Lady Caroline Dester, to meet whom he had swallowed all his anger with his wife, and come out to Italy. For Lottie, in her letter, had told him who was at San Salvatore, besides herself and Mrs. Arbuthnot, and Mr. Wilkins at once had perceived that this was an opportunity which might never reoccur. Lottie had merely said, There are two other women here, Mrs. Fisher and Lady Caroline Dester. But that was enough. He knew all about the witches their wealth, their connections, their place in history, and the power they had, should they choose to exert it, of making yet another solicitor happy by adding him to those they already employed. Some people employed one solicitor for one branch of their affairs and another for another. The affairs of the Dwat Witches must have many branches. He had also heard… Before it was, he considered, part of his business too here, and having heard, to remember, of the beauty of their only daughter. Even if the Dwat witches themselves did not need his services, their daughter might. Beauty led one into strange situations. Advice could never come amiss. And should none of them, neither parents nor daughter, nor any of their brilliant sons need him in his professional capacity. It yet was obviously a most valuable acquaintance to make. It opened up vistas. It swelled with possibilities. He might go on living in Hampstead for years and not again come across such another chance. Directly, his wife's letter reached him. He telegraphed and packed. This was business he was not a man to lose time when it came to business. Nor was he a man to jeopardize a chance by neglecting to be amiable. He met his wife perfectly amiably, aware that amiability under such circumstances was wisdom. Besides, he actually felt amiable, very. For once, Lottie really was helping him, He kissed her affectionately on getting out of Beppo's fly and was afraid she must have got up extremely early. He made no complaints of the steepness of the walk-up. He told her pleasantly of his journey and when called upon, obediently admired the views. It was all neatly mapped out in his mind what he was going to do that first day. Have a shave, have a bath, put on clean clothes, sleep a while, and then would come to lunch and the introduction to Lady Caroline. In the train, he had selected the words of his greeting, going over them with care, some slight expression of his gratification in meeting one of whom he, in common with the whole world, had heard, but of course put delicately, very delicately, some slight reference to her distinguished parents and the part her family had played in the history of England. Made, of course, with proper tact, a sentence or two about her eldest brother, Lord Winchcombe, who had won his VC in the late war under circumstances which could only cause, he might or might not add this, every Englishman's heart to beat higher than ever with pride and the first steps towards what might well be the turning point in his career would have been taken. And here he was. Nope, it was too terrible. What could be more terrible? Only a towel on, water running off his legs, and that exclamation. He knew at once the lady was Lady Caroline, the minute the exclamation was out, he knew it. Rarely did Mr. Wilkins use that word, and never, never in the presence of a lady or a client. While, as for the towel, why had he come? Why had he not stayed in Hampstead? It would be impossible to live this down. But Mr. Wilkins was reckoning without Scrap. She, indeed, screwed up her face at the first flash of him on her astonished side, in an enormous effort not to laugh. And having choked the laughter down and got her serious face on again, she said, as composedly as if he had all his clothes on, How do you do? What perfect tact! Mr. Wilkins could have worshipped her, this exquisite ignoring blue blood, of course, coming out. Overwhelmed with gratitude, he took her offered hand and said, How do you do? In his turn. And merely to repeat the ordinary words seemed magically to restore the situation to the normal. Indeed, he was so much relieved. Indeed, he was so much relieved, and it was so natural to be shaking hands be conventionally greeting that he forgot he had only a towel on, and his professional manner came back to him. He forgot what he was looking like, but he did not forget that this was Lady Caroline Dester, the lady he had come all the way to Italy to see. And he did not forget that it was in her face, her lovely and important face, that he had flung his terrible exclamation. He must at once entreat her forgiveness. To say such a word to a lady, to any lady but of all ladies, to just this one. I'm afraid I used unpardonable language, began Mr. Wilkins very earnestly, as earnestly and ceremoniously as if he had had his clothes on. I thought it most appropriate," said Scrap, who was used to dams. Mr. Wilkins was incredibly relieved and soothed by this answer. No offense then taken, blue blood again. Only blue blood could afford such a liberal, such an understanding attitude. It is uh, Lady Caroline Duster, is it not, to whom I am speaking he asked, his voice sounding even more carefully cultivated than usual, for he had to restrain too much pleasure, too much relief, too much of the joy of the pardoned and the shriven from getting into it. Yes, said Scrap, and for the life of her, she couldn't help smiling. She couldn't help it. She hadn't meant to smile at Mr. Wilkins, not ever, but he really looked, and then his voice was the top of the rest of him, oblivious of the towel and his legs, and talking just like a church. Allow me to introduce myself, said Mr. Wilkins, with the ceremony of the drawing room. My name is Melosh Wilkins, and he instinctively held out his hand a second time at the words. I thought perhaps it was said Scrap, a second time having hers shaken, and a second time unable not to smile. He was about to proceed to the first of the graceful tributes he had prepared on the train, oblivious, as he could not see himself, that he was without his clothes, when the servants came running up the stairs, and, simultaneously, Mrs. Fisher appeared in the doorway of her sitting room, for all this had happened very quickly, and the servants away in the kitchen, and Mrs. Fisher pacing her battlements, had not had time on hearing the noise to appear before the second handshake. The servants, when they heard the dreaded noise, knew at once what had happened, and rushed straight into the bathroom to try and staunch the flood, taking no notice of the figure on the landing in the towel, but Mrs. Fisher did not know what the noise could be, and coming out of her room to inquire, stood rooted on the door sill. It was enough to root anybody. Lady Caroline, shaking hands with what evidently, if he had had clothes on, would have been Mrs. Wilkins' husband, and both of them conversing just as if. then Scrap became aware of Mrs. Fisher. She turned to her at once. Do let me, she said gracefully, introduce Mr. Malash Wilkins. He's just come. This, she added, turning to Mr. Wilkins, is Mrs. Fisher. And Mr. Wilkins, nothing if not courteous, reacted at once to the conventional formula, First, he bowed to the elderly lady in the doorway, then he crossed over to her, his wet feet leaving footprints as he went, and having got to her, he politely held out his hand. "'It is a pleasure,' said Mr. Wilkins in his carefully modulated voice, "'to meet a friend of my wife's.' Scrap melted away down into the garden." Chapter 15. The strange effect of this incident was that when they met that evening at dinner, both Mrs. Fisher and Lady Caroline had a singular feeling of secret understanding with Mr. Wilkins. He could not be to them as other men, he could not be to them as he would have been if they had met him in his clothes. There was a sense of broken ice they felt at once intimate and indulgent almost they felt to him as nurses do as those who have assisted either patients or young children at their baths they were acquainted with Mr Wilkins's legs what Mrs Fisher said to him that morning in her first shock will never be known But what Mr. Wilkins said to her in reply, when reminded by what she was saying of his condition, was so handsome in its apology, so proper in its confusion, that she had ended by being quite sorry for him and completely placated. After all, it was an accident. Nobody could help accidents. And when she saw him next at dinner, dressed, polished, spotless as to linen and sleek as to hair. She felt this singular sensation of a secret understanding with him, and added to it of a kind of almost personal pride in his appearance now that he was dressed, which presently extended in some subtle way to an almost personal pride in everything he said. There was no doubt whatever in Mrs. Fisher's mind a man was infinitely preferable as a companion to a woman. Mr. Wilkins' presence and conversation at once raised the standard of the dinner table from that of a bear garden, yes, a bear garden, to that of a civilized social gathering. He talked as men talk, about interesting subjects, and though most courteous to Lady Caroline, showed no traces of dissolving into simpers and idiocy whenever he addressed her. He was, indeed, precisely as courteous to Mrs. Fisher herself, and when for the first time at that table politics were introduced, he listened to her with the proper seriousness on her exhibiting a desire to speak, and treated her opinions with the attention they deserved. He appeared to think much as she did about Lloyd George, and in regard to literature, he was equally sound. In fact, there was real conversation, and he liked nuts. How he could have married Mrs. Wilkins was a mystery. Lottie, for her part, looked on with round eyes. She had expected Melash to take at least two days before he got to this stage, but the San Salvatore spell had worked instantly. It was not only that he was pleasant at dinner, for she had always seen him pleasant at dinners with other people, but he had been pleasant all day, privately. So pleasant that he had complimented her on her looks while she was brushing out her hair and kissed her kissed her, and it was neither good morning nor good night. Well, this being so, she would put off telling him the truth about her nest egg, and about Rose not being his hostess after all till next day. Pity to spoil things. She'd been going to blurt it out as soon as he had had a rest, but it did seem a pity to disturb such a very beautiful frame of mind as that of Melash this first day. Let him, too, get more firmly fixed in heaven. Once fixed, he wouldn't mind anything. Her face sparkled with delight at the instantaneous effect of San Salvatore. Even the catastrophe of the bath, of which she had been told when she came in from the garden, had not shaken him. Of course, All that he had needed was a holiday. What a brute she had been to him when he wanted to take her himself to Italy. But this arrangement, as it happened, was ever so much better, though not through any merit of hers. She talked and laughed gaily, not a shred of fear of him left in her, and even when she said, struck by his spotlessness, that he looked so clean that one could eat one's dinner off him, and Scrap laughed. Mellish laughed, too. He would have minded that at home, supposing that at home she'd had the spirit to say it. It was a successful evening. Scrap, whenever she looked at Mr. Wilkins, saw him in his towel, dripping water, and felt indulgent. Mrs. Fisher was delighted with him, Rose was a dignified hostess in Mr. Wilkins's eyes, quiet and dignified, and he admired the way she waved her right to preside at the head of the table, as a graceful compliment, of course, to Mrs. Fisher's age. Mrs. Arbuthnot was, opined Mr. Wilkins, naturally retiring. She was the most retiring of the three ladies. He had met her before dinner, alone for a moment in the drawing room, and had expressed in appropriate language his sense of her kindness in wishing him to join her party, and she had been retiring. Was she shy? Probably. She had blushed and murmured as if in deprecation, and then the others had come in. At dinner, she talked least, He would, of course, become better acquainted with her during the next few days, and it would be a pleasure, he was sure. Meanwhile, Lady Caroline was all, and more than all, Mr. Wilkins had imagined, and had received his speeches, worked in skillfully between the courses, graciously. Mrs. Fisher was the exact old lady he had been hoping to come across all his professional life, and Lottie had not only immensely improved, but was obviously au mieux. Mr. Wilkins knew what was necessary in French, with Lady Caroline. He had been much tormented during the day by the thought of how he had stood conversing with Lady Caroline, forgetful of his not being dressed, and had at last written her a note most deeply apologizing and beseeching her to overlook his amazing his incomprehensible obliviousness, to which she had replied in pencil on the back of the envelope, don't worry, and he had obeyed her commands and had put it from him. The result was he was now in great contentment. Before going to sleep that night, he pinched his wife's ear. She was amazed. These endearments, What is more, the morning brought no relapse in Mr. Wilkins, and he kept up to his high level throughout the day, in spite of its being the first day of the second week, and therefore, payday. It being payday precipitated Lottie's confession, which she had, when it came to the point, been inclined to put off a little longer. She was not afraid. She dared anything. But Melesh was in such an admirable humour. Why risk clouding it just yet? When, however, soon after breakfast, Constanza appeared with a pile of very dirty little bits of paper, covered with sums in pencil, and having knocked at Mrs. Fisher's door and been sent away, and at Lady Caroline's door and been sent away, and at Rose's door and had no answer because Rose had gone out she waylaid Lottie, who was showing Merlash over the house and pointed to the bits of paper and talked very rapidly and loud and shrugged her shoulders a great deal and kept on pointing at the bits of paper. Lottie remembered that a week had passed without anybody paying anything for anyone and that the moment had come to settle up. Does this good lady want something? inquired Mr. Wilkins mellifluously. Money, said Lottie. Money? It's the housekeeping bills. Well, you have nothing to do with those, said Mr. Wilkins serenely. Oh, yes, I have. And the confession was precipitated it was wonderful how Melesh took it. One would have imagined that his sole idea about the nest egg had always been that it should be lavished on just this. He did not, as he would have done at home, cross-examine her. He accepted everything as it came pouring out, about her fibs and all. And when she had finished and said, You have every right to be angry, I think, but I hope you won't be and will forgive me instead? He merely asked. What can be more beneficial than such a holiday? Whereupon she put her arm through his and held it tight and said, Oh, Melish, you really are too sweet. Her face, red with pride in him. That he should so quickly assimilate the atmosphere he should at once become nothing but kindness showed surely what real affinity he had with good and beautiful things. He belonged quite naturally in this place of heavenly calm. He was, extraordinary how she had misjudged him, by nature a child of light. Fancy not minding the dreadful fibs she had gone in for before leaving home, fancy passing even those over without comment. Wonderful. Yet, not wonderful. For wasn't he in heaven? In heaven, nobody minded any of those done with things. One didn't even trouble to forgive and forget. One was much too happy. She pressed his arm tight in her gratitude and appreciation, and though he did not withdraw his, neither did he respond to her pressure. Mr. Wilkins was of a cool habit, and rarely had any wish to press. Meanwhile, Constanza, perceiving that she had lost the Wilkins's ear, had gone back to Mrs. Fisher, who at least understood Italian, besides being clearly in the servant's eyes, the one of the party marked down by age And appearance to pay the bills. And to her, while Mrs. Fisher put the final touches to her toilette, she was preparing by means of putting on a hat and veil and feather boa and gloves to go for her first stroll in the lower garden, positively her first since her arrival. She explained that unless she was given the money to pay the last week's bills, the shops of Castagneto would refuse credit for the current week's food. Not even credit would they give, affirmed Constanza, who had been spending a great deal and was anxious to pay all her relations what was owed them, and also to find out how her mistresses took it, for that day's meals. Soon it would be the hour of collazione, and how could there be breakfast without meat, without fish? without eggs, without. Mrs. Fisher took the bills out of her hand and looked at the total, and she was so much astonished by its size, so much horrified by the extravagance to which it testified, that she sat down at her writing table to go into the thing thoroughly. Constanza had a very bad half-hour, She had not supposed it was in the English to be so mercenary. And then, La Vecchia, as she was called in the kitchen, knew so much Italian, and with a doggedness that filled Constanza with shame on her behalf, for such conduct was the last one expected from the noble English. She went through, item after item, requiring and persisting till she got them explanations. There were no explanations, except that Constanza had had one glorious week of doing exactly as she chose, of splendid, unbridled license, and that this was the result. Constanza, having no explanations, wept. It was miserable to think she would have to cook from now on under watchfulness, under suspicion. And what would her relations say when they found the orders they received were whittled down? They would say she had no influence. They would despise her. Constanza wept, but Mrs. Fisher was unmoved. In slow and splendid Italian, with the roll of the cantos of the Inferno, she informed her that she would pay no bills till the following week and that meanwhile, the food was to be precisely as good as ever, and at a quarter the cost. Constanza threw up her hands. Next week, proceeded Mrs. Fisher unmoved. If she found this had been so, she would pay the whole. Otherwise, she paused, for what would she do otherwise she did not know herself. But she paused and looked impenetrable majestic and menacing, and Constanza was cowed. Then, Mrs. Fisher, having dismissed her with a gesture, went in search of Lady Caroline to complain.